This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 232, about Jessica Jones, season 3, episode 9, aka I Did Something Today. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is Derek on Defenders TV Podcast. We're on episode 232, this time talking about Jessica Jones, season 3, episode 9, aka I Did Something Today. What so did, did I. What did you do today, Gautam? Um, I, I woke up, I got dressed, uh-huh. I, I made breakfast. That's different to last I, podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yes, I actually got dressed. Mm. Hello there, fellow Defenders. I am one of your other hosts, John. Welcome to the episode. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. Yes, just the two of us this time. Chris, as unfortunately, is travelling once again. He will With be back work, yes. yes. You may have noticed that I'm calling this episode 232. Right now, we haven't recorded our Spider-Man Far From Home podcast but we know we're putting it out before this one so we're in that weird territory where i'm guessing that that we're going to be recording the spider-man episode i'm hoping it's going to go well we've all seen the movie definitely go out and watch it and then listen to our podcast about it Uh, you can just do it over on tvpodcastindustries.com on defenderstvpodcast.com or we do have a movie suite which is our all of our i think 29 or 30 reviews of all of the movies that we've uh, done over the years on gotham tv podcast and defenders tv podcast so check that one out if you just want to hear our movies discussions yes thank you for the technical review there derek pretty good huh yeah absolutely remember fellow defenders this will be a spoiler filled review and you can find all our spoiler filled reviews over on our website at tvpodcastindustries.com just click on any drunk or sober podcast player of your choice there is spotify google play apple podcasts you name it, the podcast catcher of your choice. And of course, we always want to listen to your thoughts on all things Jessica Jones. Please send in your feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. But Derek, after you've given us the technical details on podcast schedule, what are some of the episode details for this episode, episode 9 of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. I did something today, woohoo! Yeah, no problem. The episode was written by Lisa Randolph. We spoke about her earlier on this season because she wrote, uh, I have no spleen. Um, and this episode, I did something today. She's also written Three Lives and Counting, which is back in season two. And she's written the finale for this season uh, with Melissa Rosenberg uh, called Everything. Um, she's also done some Star Trek Discovery uh, episodes as well, which we talked about last time. Yeah, cool stuff. Um, I must say, I do like her, her episodes mm-hmm. on Jessica. And I think she has a pretty tough episode to write here Definitely. given uh, what happened in episode eight as well mm-hmm. yeah this is, this is probably one of the toughest episodes of the season to get right as well so uh, good to have somebody that's as knowledgeable as lisa is on the show to, to write this episode uh, but it was directed by just jennifer gatzinger we've spoken about her many times she has directed episodes of shows like mad men outlander and your latest obsession john how, how to get away with murder so uh, she's done loads of those kind of shows as well Yes, that happens to be the t- TV show, not the fact that I am uh, <laughs> trying to find a way to get away with murder, Derek. I was wondering, <laughs> suddenly you'd watched an entire season of the show, and I was like, what's he trying to cover up here? Background research. <laughs> exactly. But as I mentioned, we have talked about Jennifer before because she has directed loads and loads of episodes of shows that we've covered here in Defenders TV Podcast. She's yeah. directed the last two episodes of Agent Carter, season two, obviously, which was the last season of Agent Carter. Yeah. Uh, she did an episode in Daredevil season three, which is episode three and she did aka i want your cray cray jessica jones episode last season as well this is not the final episode that we'll see her direct of jessica jones because she directed episode 311 as well it's just two more episodes to see what else she's going to bring us with the show cool excellent stuff but john do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode sure 
After a shocking blow, Jessica prevents Trish killing Salinger, and they make it safely back to Alias Investigations. With Dorothy's death weighing heavily on both Jessica and Trish, a hospitalised Salinger has other plans and sends proof of Trish's attack to Jessica. She is forced to choose between protecting Trish and ending Salinger, as he threatens to release a photo of the attack to the press unless Jones destroys all evidence of Nathan's death. To save Trish, a reluctant Jessica, with the help of Eric, blackmails Officer Carl Nussbaumer to help them destroy the evidence that would put Salinger behind bars. Elsewhere, Jerry Hogarth seizes a chance to get back in Kith's life through a plea from her son Laurent, and Malcolm unknowingly reveals Trish as the mass vigilante to Jerry as he quits her law firm. Unaware that Jerry knows her secret, an upset Trish finds out Jessica has destroyed evidence to save her, and later in the day, police arrive at Jessica's apartment. But their questions don't revolve around Trish, but instead about her involvement in the murder of Officer Nussbaumer. Not how we thought this episode was going to go at all. I know we were all on tenterhooks last episode after we watched uh, episode eight after the death of Dorothy and having Trish and Jessica on opposite sides of the room as Jessica bends towards her trying to stop Trish from killing Salinger. Uh, we thought this was going to be a big, intense episode about that. That's kind of resolved pretty quickly. It's the opening like 45 seconds when you see Salinger has been knocked out by Jessica just in time so that Trish didn't actually slit his throat. So a very different episode with a lot of um, thoughts going into the decisions being made by Trish and Jessica, really, throughout this episode as to what they're going to do in the future. Uh, Loads of other stuff going on in the episode, but it's a very thoughtful episode uh, that we get here. Yeah, massively thoughtful. I I do think this is one of those things that has probably, um, you know, it it feels like it's sucking the the impetus out of the the show, given what happened in episodes seven and eight. But actually... Uh, this kind of reset is not the word I want to say, but you have to deal with the consequences. And ultimately, um, you know, I think it's the right call that Salinger is not dead because it's difficult to understand how it would play out Mm -hmm. further. Uh, You still need this great evil uh, antagonist for these two. And actually, I do really like how it is playing with... Uh, the choices that Jessica has to make mm-hmm. and the relationship again with Trish and Jessica. You know, they've had so many different things going on uh, in this episode. Trish having killed Jessica's mom, Jessica getting involved with Trish's sort of new uh, identity and the investigations that she's doing. And now with the death of her mom, Jessica making a decision without any consultation of Trish um, all for Trish, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's a really interesting dynamic in this relationship that's been pulled out in this across this season, I think. And I, it's one that I really, really like. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And Sandra is a massively important character, as you mentioned, John. We really couldn't have the show as good as it is without him, I suppose. So he is our first case note, case note number one. Salinger has proof, which is understandable. Last episode, we kind of questioned his mode of getting back into his apartment block, that moment when he's uh, standing in front of the two police officers who are blocking his way because he spent the entire day out of the apartment without letting them know and they're supposed to be guarding him. And we were wondering, thought it was a bit of a silly idea, but it was really just showing that he's gotten back inside his apartment. And that's really important for the fact that um, he is able to get trish on the cctv cameras that he has installed in his apartment so that's how he's able to get this proof on her so it's really important that he is back in his apartment um as i said we questioned how he got back into his apartment or the way they showed it on the screen but i think it was just to show us 
that he that's where he is. So he's able to get access to all this information. So it's really important to remember that when Salinger shows that one image of Trish on his phone to Jessica, that that's just a photograph, a still image of probably the full CCTV footage that he has of Trish beating him up in his apartment. So there's much more evidence there than just that one photograph. Yes, it was very arty, wasn't it? I did <laughs> think that um, it must be the most expensive uh, high-def uh, video cameras possible in order to get that detail. It kind of looked like it just needed, I don't know, Hamlet underneath it, you know, at, at the Drury Lane Theatre or something. It, it, it looked like one of those kind of posters. Um, it looked very arty. It, did, it, it almost didn't look kinetic, which I suppose that was the only thing about that image. It didn't look kinetic. Right. Um, given that, you know, we see at the last episode, Trish really sort of trying to um, slit Salinger's throat, Jessica coming in. And so obviously Jessica has knocked uh, him out before Trish has managed any killing blow. Yeah. But it, it seems a little posed in, in some ways. But look, it's a small point from, from me. Well, remember, we don't know a huge amount about Salinger. We know that he's a wrestling coach and we know that he loves photography and he's really good at it. So maybe he has just placed her in the perfect situation for this photograph. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and uh, to be honest... I think you can imagine him pausing the video footage mm -hmm. all the way to get that particular look and pose. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because I, I love the fact that he says, I really captured her rage, didn't I? Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to capture yours. So actually, it was Jessica he was trying to provoke in some yeah. ways to come round and beat the absolute living daylights out of him, mm -hmm. maybe kill him. But this was really interesting to see all of this kind of play out. Unfortunately, he got the wrong superhero, but it's a win-win because it's her sister and best friend. Yeah, we learn about this when she goes to visit him in the hospital, in the lift, effectively, in the elevator, uh, where she gets rid of somebody uh, that's taking him to his next operation and accompanies him in the lift. And they have this kind of confrontation there. Um, it is really interesting, isn't it, that he is trying to get her to reveal the other side of herself, this dark side that he feels is there. And this is one of the things we've talked about a couple of times with Salinger, that he has this feeling that there's something bad and dark on the inside of Jessica, but he doesn't have that superpower that Eric has to tell that. He just assumes that she can't be as heroic as she says she is because she has these superpowers. Um, she doesn't actually say she's heroic ever, to be honest, but he doesn't know that. He seems to feel like she feels privileged she feels better than everybody else. But Jessica's never felt like that. So he's trying to goad her into committing actions, I suppose, or act the way he thinks she's supposed to act. But that's just his thoughts and his impression of how she would act. She isn't the one that ran over to his house to kill him because he killed Dorothy. That was Trish, and he didn't know much about Trish in the past. Yeah, it's interesting, though, as well, isn't it? Because you have that throwaway line from Eric when he arrives at Jessica's apartment where he says can you get me some paracetamol mm -hmm. as he's around her does that mean that there is a darkness growing around jessica because of the thoughts of actually what she wants to do to salinger and so there is a huge amount of restraint being done by jessica here Maybe. um and but eric's superpower can kind of sense this this sort of growing darkness yeah. around her you know i, I think originally and maybe slightly jokingly, he says, oh, you've got about 20% around you, you know, uh, earlier on in the season. And maybe just everything that's going on, given that she knows that he has killed all these people, she's uncovered Nathan Silver in Wappinger. Mm. Now, 
you know, effectively he's killed her mum and it, uh, her second mum. Yeah. So it, it's really personal. It really was to send a message that, you know, it's only because it was Trish that did it that she is now having to think about Trish and protecting her yeah. and making sure she doesn't end up behind the bars uh, of prison. But she's got these thoughts of doing, you know, what she did to Kilgrave. I don't know. It, it, it was just a nice sort of intriguing remark from Eric. I was thinking about that as well, but I think it's actually connected to the fact he's going to take her to Officer No Spammer, um, the detective he's dealt with earlier. We're going to talk about him in the next point, but the fact that he says to her, we're going to go and visit someone that was really bad and I was able to take money out of and I could definitely get another favor out of this guy. Do you have some paracetamol or do you have some, ah, okay. some yeah. Panadol, whatever it is? Um, I think it's just connected to that comment because I feel what we've seen from Eric was he held her in his arms saying to her, you don't have bad around you. I wouldn't be able to stand being around you if you were bad, as bad as you think you are. So if that happens in an earlier episode, you're going to need to see in episode 11 or episode 12 after she's killed someone that he's repulsed by okay. all of a sudden. Do you know what I mean? No, that, that's good. That's good. I probably reason too much into that for sure. But yeah. I definitely had the same reading when I saw it initially. Um, let's get quickly back to Salinger's uh, threat, I suppose, to Jessica. So he's effectively saying that he's going to release this image of Trish unless she destroys the only evidence that she has to connect him to these murders. So um, she goes along with it, unwillingly, obviously, if it is Jessica, she wants to take him down. But this is the only opportunity she has to really nail him to the wall. Unless she starts going back to all of his other victims and maybe go to the second victim and see if he maybe slipped up there, just not as bad as the first one. You know, did he get better with each subsequent kill, maybe? Is that is that the route she's going to go? I was having a quick think about the other guy that was released, the the uh, restaurateur, who kissed him and Salinger ran away, basically. Yeah. Um, he didn't realise he was going to get murdered at the time. I was thinking back on him and going, she could probably use him but I don't think he's a reliable witness because he didn't know he was up to be murdered by Salinger until she, Jessica told him, effectively. Yeah, he just thought he was into some kink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he never realized it, even afterwards, until Jessica actually spelled it out to him and he went, oh, okay. So that, I think, makes him an unreliable witness for the police. It's kind of hearsay. And because Jessica has been seen as um, targeting Salinger, she probably couldn't use him. Uh, as as a witness as well. no exactly you know it, it's interesting the predicament that jessica's in here because she's got the chance to nail salinger because of the forensic evidence from nathan silver's body mm-hmm. but at the same time that the events that have happened have, have transpired against her because she's got to now protect trish and i mean i was even trying to sort of have a quarrel with myself about well at the moment, no one knows that it is Trish. Why is she hiding her in this motel room immediately after? Um, why is she not sort of back at her apartment, in, in a sense? But obviously, with the photo, that makes sense then. But it only happens afterwards. And, and so th- it is one of those things. I like the fact that Jessica ultimately says right, Trish, you've now got to go back to work and you've just got to start making the funeral arrangements. You've got yeah. to look normal for someone who's bereaved in a sense Uh, but at the same time you know i I really like the way that kristen ritter portrays jessica having to battle with the fact that you know this guy is slipping through her grasp Mm -hmm. uh, in a legal way and i mean ultimately for me now i'm trying to think how does this turn out for salinger is this another Kilgrave where he is going to have to have his own snapping um to be honest and maybe it's of the neck yeah, maybe. You know, rather yeah. than turning into sort of dust. But I, it, it's an interesting one. I, I like this 
um, conflict for Jessica. Yeah, and I really hope that's not the last episode of this season is her killing Salinger because we had that with Kilgrave in season one. We had Trish kill her mother in season two. And now we'd have her killing Salinger at the end of season three again. I don't know. That just feels like history repeating itself over and over again, uh, where, she, where the main antagonist has to be murdered every time. You know, they talk about the raft in this episode. It's one of our little notes where, where you send all the really bad people, but that's usually the super powered people. There are places where murderers can go to. So hopefully he just gets his day in court and gets put in prison because everybody else is smarter than he gives them credit for. But let's get on to case note number two, because there's loads in that first case note. And there's loads of that that will spill into our other case notes, obviously. But case note number two, murderous officer Carl Nussbaumer. Yes, or, as I was thinking, Nussnacker. Uh, <laughs> Nussbaumer is nut-tree, and he seems a bit of a nut-job as mm-hmm. well. Uh, but he doesn't do any nut-cracking with the <laughs> Nussnacker. But, uh, yeah, no, this is interesting. Um, certainly, I mean, straight off the bat, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't like this guy. Yeah. Uh, the casting's really, really nice. He looks slimy, yeah. he looks sleazy, um, and just the whole sort of approach to him from eric and jessica it feels uncomfortable yeah um and i thought it was really nicely played and um, between all three of these uh, i i just thought it was such a good uh character yeah. you know on the on our gotham tv podcast we used to do you know character of the week where we try and find one of the minor characters that really stood out and for me i think officer carl nussbaumer just absolutely screamed sleazy slimy murderer and i think as well the playoff with eric you know that sense you get from eric of absolutely detesting this man for Mm -hmm. what he's done almost it's like he's repelled by him you really get that sense um and i thought it was really nicely done to be honest and uh yeah so this was a great little character to come in and he ultimately is there to provide the the pass into the forensic labs there mm-hmm. in Jamaica and New York. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. This guy just feels like something straight out of the 70s or out of NYPD Blue in the 80s, this kind of corrupt cop look. It's like, you know, they just put a poster around New York and said, uh, do you look like a corrupt cop? Come and join us, you know? I do feel sorry sometimes for people in, in New York because a lot of these books, as we talked about many times with Luke Cage and with Daredevil and with Iron Fist and now with Jessica Jones as well, a lot of them are based in this world of New York that no longer exists. They're based in that taxi driver type world of the 70s New York where it was sleazy and grimy and dirty. And now it's like a really respectable city where the only criminals are really the stockbrokers and the lawyers and the uptown firms, basically. So much more the Hogarths of the city rather than the uh, sleazy cops and the crime lords. And sometimes you wonder whether people who live in New York are like, will you stop (laughs) perpetuating this concept that we're all evil drug dealers you know <laughs> but you have to do it on these shows it's one last show set in this version of hell's kitchen which is i know is a pretty upper class area of new york now but we do have this uh, this carl newspammer in here at least uh, which is an interesting one i like that they brought eric back in he seems to have arrived at the perfect time but a great explanation for that he delivers his sister to the safe house where she's being uh, sent off to to hide out effectively and then turns on the tv and of course sees the death of dorothy walker you you would imagine that would appear on TV stations anywhere. So he gets back in the car and comes straight back up to Jessica to comfort her. So it makes sense why he's returned at this yeah. perfect time, really. Yeah, it's nice to have Eric back, I think. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good counterpoint for Jessica, uh, for sure. Uh, if we're not going to get Luke Cage back, then certainly 
um, that other person in her life, other than Trish, other than Malcolm, uh, I think is really nicely done. And he does feel the perfect foil for her. Um, I, I, I do like uh, that, you know, as well, his return here around this darkness that is Carl Nussbaumer kind of suggests Eric um, being in a battle uh, within his own mind as well. You know, this idea that he tried to use his powers for good, but it ultimately just broke up his family. Yeah. Um, and since then, he's just done the blackmail op- option, which is what he did to Salinger. It's also what he did here mm-hmm. with Carl Nussbaumer. But I suppose there is then that suggestion that maybe he's looking to return to doing, you know, some good in inverted commas mm-hmm. uh, with the suggestion that he may be killed Call Nussbaumer. Mm, perhaps, yeah. It's a really interesting one, isn't it? When he when he reveals effectively that the reason why he was after Nussbaumer, the reason why he got so much money out of him, he got ten grand out of this guy. You know, um, the reason why he got so much is because he's been killing off drug dealers and taking their money, drugs, and effectively their territory. And so this cop is effectively a drug lord who's been getting worse and worse. As we hear from Eric, he hear, he feels the darkness much worse inside this guy since he paid the blackmail money. So yeah. this is another one of these things for Eric's character where by not ever looking back, by just constantly blackmailing people and moving on, and as he says, just blowing the cash on card games, um, he's never had to deal with the consequences of his actions. And when, in fact, he blackmails people and they pay him off and their bad sides never get revealed, well, it actually turns out that he's covering for them almost. They continue doing the bad things they were doing beforehand and now feel justified in getting away with it because they've paid somebody off who won't reveal their their darkness or their bad sides. So... I kind of like that. Yeah, no, exactly. I think um, that predicament that Eric finds himself in, I think there's a lot of predicaments in this Mm -hmm. episode. You know, there's people having to deal with the situation that's just transpired and it's put them in a position where they're beginning to think about their previous actions or what they need to do in this moment. I think that's the strength of this episode, um, that you you get these insights like this into these characters. It's some really good character development. I think, yes, it's pulled the the foot off the gas pedal a little, Mm -hmm. but with that, as, as they've slowed down the pace of the main story, they have... You know, shot off in different directions with character development, and and it's been quite nice for me to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's really good to get these kind of character development moments. Definitely, another person looking back on things that she's done in the past to see if. Uh, she needed to change them possibly is Jessica herself in our case note number three Jessica reluctantly destroying the evidence like this is the one thing she had on Salinger Um, she actually had an opportunity potentially and remember the tests aren't completed so there is actually no connection to Salinger actually identified by anybody here it's likely that it is Salinger but we find that Detective Costa has found a few hairs on that body from Wappinger Falls that uh, Jessica found underneath the gazebo. Uh, he sent them off to the crime lab up in Jamaica to get tested. And then there's this weird one where Costa and the forensic scientist are there doing the tests. And she says to Costa, I need to go home to my husband. It's 3 a.m. And he goes, well, I need to go home to mine as well. I'm not leaving until you get the results. And I'm like, 3 a.m.? Yeah, I know. Like, I know crime doesn't sleep. I know it's 24 hours a day. But... Salinger's in the hospital. This is a 12-year-old case, isn't it? 15-year-old case? And I know he's urgent. Like He's under so much pressure that he's going to stay until she gets the results. But at 3 a.m., I don't care who you are as a scientist, unless you only work nights, 
you're probably going to want to wait until you have a good sleep before you start doing tests in the laboratory. Aren't you? Yeah, I mean, th- this was a little strange that they they called it out at 3 a.m. Yeah. Um, look, I, I get that Jessica had to go in the dead of night, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that having Costa there and the forensic scientist, uh, as well as the security detail, you know, ramped up the pressure but i mean it just seems really strange either they're being paid like mega bucks or they are far too dedicated a public servant and to be doing that because yeah i think you you would want to be awake and fully alert when you're examining it under a microscope and for sure so yeah it it was a little weird but i suppose it was just to kind of build some form of tension but it just made no sense for a regular nine to five uh even you know two or three hours worth of overtime because there was a large caseload uh in in the forensics uh department maybe but yeah i was like thinking as eight or nine p.m maybe you know she's missed dinner possibly and hasn't made it home in time for that but 3 a.m feels like (laughs) what have you been doing you know since the sun went down in this office here on your I mean, the husband will actually think she's having an affair, or is he's there going, is she ever coming back? <laughs> exactly. My wife is supposed to arrive home for dinner at 7. It's now 3 a.m. <laughs> Do you know where your wife yeah. is? Yeah. The kids have been in bed for at least seven hours as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but because Costa's there, we obviously see that Jessica needs to be a little bit extra careful. And I like the plan that she comes up with, which is effectively to release the sewage pipes into the lab. Exactly. In the immortal words of Jeff Goldblum, now that's what I call a power shift. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, again, the medical examiner does make a very good point you're in a, a a lab here effectively it's not to do with the amount of crap that's in the pipes it's actually that's probably the nicest possible thing that's in these pipes this kind of stuff is every single body fluid it, yeah exactly is in these pipes i think it's a, released i yeah. think it's actually it, it's less coming from the sanitary uh, yeah. sort of lose of the of the building it's more probably coming out of a digester uh that processes any waste uh yeah. after yeah absolutely yeah. i love i love how she indicates it though to begin with she's like what were you eating tonight Costa? stop <laughs> yeah. breathing on your me. breath smelt yeah. so i mean <laughs> I don't know what you would need to eat for it to smell like sort of the the backing up of like the waste Sewage pipe. Pipes, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that was really weird. I also thought it was massively weird that the forensic scientist, I know it was a race against time before the, the shoes got covered, didn't put this fine hair back into the into the bag yeah. and back given that there this is a forensic laboratory mm-hmm. given that there is a chain of evidence and processes you know highly processed and yeah. proceduralized and um, this idea that you would leave a delicate hair which even if a, if you open the door and it banged creating a breeze it could blow off that and um, the, the 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 sample plate yeah. from under the microscope so yeah, that was a little strange. I think she should be fired anyway yeah, for how yeah. she handled the evidence. Because <laughs> it wasn't like she was coming back anytime soon. Nobody would have ever have found it. Nobody would ever have found out if that was the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, Jessica does continue her mission effectively for Salinger. I do like this. It does feel like undercover spy Jessica Jones. You know, the jumping between each of the tables instead of going on the floor, you know, uh, as she tries to make her way over to where the sample is. Now, here's the other question. She takes the hair follicles out from under the microscope and does actually throw them on the floor. This is Jessica Jones. I 
genuinely thought she would take the follicles out and put them in her pocket and reveal them later to Costa, possibly. Make it a secret between the two of them, you know, so that she gets Trish off and Salinger believes that she that he's gotten away with it. And then later, Jessica can come back and take him out. But I know Salinger says the minute he gets arrested, this photo will be revealed to Trish. So does it does that take him off completely off Jessica's radar? Will she never be able to go after him at all? Now? Yeah, me too. I was surprised that she didn't sort of bag it and take it to, to use later. I think also with Costa... I actually thought the conversation that they had in her um, apartment at Alias Investigations, I thought he was kind of heavily hinting that he knew that it was Trish um, was this other person, given the circumstances of Dorothy's death and so on. So I felt, and given that he had been placed on leave because things had fallen apart with regards to this case, the loss of the evidence. um, And I must say, I did like Jessica's kind of face there when she realizes that she's uh, you know, responsible for him being put out uh, on leave for the moment. It was like, yeah, that conversation conceivably could have happened, but she has absolutely destroyed the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gone. You know, nada, no more. Um, and it, it's interesting that Salinger himself says, that's it, our business is finished. Yeah. Uh, does that mean Salinger is, is moving away? Is, is it all kind of over? I mean, obviously, I can't imagine that it is. No. But nonetheless, there is a finality placed here uh, with um, both the destruction of the evidence and what uh, Salinger says to Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think from my side, it is more than likely going to be Trish that that sort of uh, starts hitting that wasp's nest again. That finishes what she started. Yeah, definitely. It feels like, not in this episode, it doesn't feel like she's about to go back and do it, but it feels like very soon that rage is going to come back out again and she's going to go after Salinger for what he did. Yeah, but you did mention there about, about Costa getting the blame for what Jessica's done. Just that moment where she aims the uh, electric fan towards where the hairs are supposed to be. So they all think the fan may have turned on and just blown the hairs away. It really feels like a horrible moment for Costa to realize, uh-oh, maybe I've ruined the whole case. Yeah. You know, like he's been put out on leave uh, by by the rest of the police department, effectively, because he's the one that takes the fall for everything. And he also blames himself. He actually believes that he's the one that did this as well. It's a pretty bad way to treat the only friend she had in the department as well, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, as I said before, I I think that's a great moment of conflict from Jessica where she's having to pretend, well, what do we do next? You know, that sucks. Can we not go after uh, Salinger? What are our next moves? Uh, when all the time she knows she is responsible for Costa now effectively being put off on leave. But I think on to case note number four Mm -hmm. as well, because, you know, with all this going on, there's another main development going on at Hogarth and Associates, and that's Malcolm resigns. Yeah, yeah, we have here, you know, pressure coming from Jerry onto um, this new vigilante Mm -hmm. uh, with the offer of $250,000 to whoever can find and unmask this vigilante. So it's really beginning to sort of uh, ramp up here uh, on who is this uh, unknown vigilante. Obviously, there is the attempted kill on Salinger as well. So it really starts to put 
pressure on Malcolm, given you have the doctor's video footage, mm-hmm. you have Jerry taking it very personally as an attack on her firm, yeah. plus you have Malcolm's um, conflict here as well. Another one of the characters in conflict. You know, he uh, he has a great moment where he goes, you know, I'm out. If you want me to protect a man who carves people up for sport as opposed to someone trying to actually bring him in and do something, then I'm out yeah. of this. Uh, I really like the moments as well where almost at the same time, although Malcolm, I think, gets just ahead. <laughs> so he goes, I'm out, and Jerry says, you're fired. And that's a great little moment, you know, where Jerry is trying to just beat him to sort of firing him before he can quit. And so it's on right. her terms, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I like that, but... I, I thought that conversation was really good as well, you know, where she goes, you vilify me, you lied to me, you stole from me. Um, you know, in a sense, quite frankly, she's right. You know, he yeah. is the one that's employed by her. I love that she goes, we were on the same page. I love that she tries to leverage Isaiah. Yeah. It's exactly what Jerry would do. You know, she is this manipulator extraordinaire and i thought um that interaction that conversation with malcolm was superb yeah it does feel like she's just getting petty about it because she didn't get the chance to fire him <laughs> you know it's like he said i quit first so she goes oh well maybe you're not the only one involved in this maybe zay is also involved in this and we've been building my legacy and your future together all three yeah, of yeah. us so if you're going out, she's going out as well. But he stands his ground and he does leave. You know, he he does leave that business, it feels like, anyway. It doesn't feel like he's going to be working for her in future. Is he going back to Jessica now, potentially? Well, he's going to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And certainly Jessica is involving him in the whole Trish thing yeah. as well. Um, which is kind of quite nice. Again, I really liked uh, him and Trish. You really got the sense that these are two people that have lived around um, a superhero mm-hmm. and kind of are part of that world, but not of it. You know, they don't have the powers. Although Trish does now, yeah. absolutely. But it felt very much reminiscing, you know, around Dorothy and her death, but also around the, you know, their previous lives with Jessica when maybe it was a little simpler. Yeah. Um, and I really liked that. I thought it was quite nostalgic, actually, but in, in a nice way. Yeah, I remember that point when everything fell apart back in season two and we were kind of going, are these people ever going to be able to spend any time around each other? at all anymore these three people who were so close in season one or eventually became very close in season one and then the whole relationship broke down you think they're probably never going to be able to be around each other again and they are we talked about it a couple of times early on in the season they have created these great situations where all four of these major characters who used to all be on the same side are all sort of kind of working together towards the same goal yeah a lot of the time Except for Hogarth, of course. She seems to be going off on this idea of building her legacy before she goes. Um, Another part of this episode, really, we do find out that she does figure out from the footage that it is Trish Walker uh, by seeing that reflection of her in the footage that Malcolm handed over, effectively. So, unwittingly, Malcolm's actually revealed who... Yeah, who... Hellcat is or who this Malcolm is yeah. yeah but he was trying to do the right thing he was revealing that he was the one and only person that met with her so she knows exactly who it is because she knows that Malcolm knows her and she's seen her face so um so yeah so unfortunately that's that's the situation she's in but we do have this other side with Hogarth uh, it's not its own point on its own it probably could have been but this whole discussion where Laurent Kit's son comes back and visits Jerry and tells her that he's worried about her mom losing everything because 
of everything that his father did. Hogarth is horrible in these scenes yeah. once again. She's really awful person yeah. here. She talks to, to this kid who's just lost his father because of what she did and says that he's an embezzler and that he's a horribly screwed up human being, effectively. And Laurent has to stand there and listen to this woman. He agrees with the fact that he's an embezzler because that's factually true. There's nothing he can say yeah. about that. But this is his father she's talking about. She has no regard for him. And then we find when she goes and visits Kith, that's even worse. What does she expect to get out of this? I cannot imagine talking to any other human being the way she talks to Kith, going, you want honesty? Well, I slept with Wendy while we were still yeah, dating it, for three months because yeah. I enjoyed the power. And I didn't want a soulmate at that time, but I want one now. And you're my soulmate. It's like, well, no, get out. Jerry is becoming weirdly obnoxious, but maybe this is the whole problem is that, you know, she's had everything she could ever have in her life. She's Mm -hmm. been successful. And now at the, the final moment, she's she's realized she's not had this soulmate, which she realizes was Kith. She just wasn't ready or or something along those lines. But she just can't deal with it um, because she has been sort of inhuman in a way uh, for so long, has kept herself um, distant from people, has been manipulative, has used people, uh, that even in this moment where maybe she is trying to be genuine, it sounds horrendous. And I, I think for me, it was, it felt awkward though. Um, you know, this explanation and this confession at this time, but I just loved how she, you know, she was banging the drums, sort of battering on the piano, just with the one note to try and just stop Jerry from, from speaking. Now I know that Kith's a classically trained musician and I'm not sure whether she was intending this, but didn't the kind of one key on the piano sound a little bit like Psycho? Was yeah, it was. Yeah, the Psycho a bit, theme? bit of a horror uh, <laughs> note there, yeah. I think. But it's just even that moment when Hogarth arrives and one of the first things she said to her was, I couldn't take looking at you as this broken um, woman in such a, a being so sad in the situation that you're in and you're going hang on a second this is the first time you've seen this woman in 25 years she says that at the beginning she was playing in front of an audience of people with her wonderfully supportive husband there in the room it's a very exclusive ticket she makes a hell of a lot of money for the charities how can hogarth say that this woman is really sad and in a desperate situation that she wants to get out of she didn't know about that at all she said she followed her in social media and she knows all about her social interactions which is also pretty creepy like yeah but this concept that she came in and ruined this woman's life so she could have her as you say john is this constant thing with hogarth that she gets everything she wants because she just throws money at it she can get absolutely anything we heard earlier on in the season about her being able to get access to any type of artwork because she's willing to deal in the black market and she has the connections to get that well the one thing you can't get from anybody with money is love. You cannot get love at all from anybody in the world. And right now, nobody loves Hogarth. Every one of her friends and acquaintances have dropped her, including the Rand Corporation, you know, where Danny Rand's supposed to be one of her closest family members, closest yeah. friends. That entire corporation have dropped her, as well as Jessica going, Malcolm going, everybody that she's ever had dealings with. Wendy's dead. Kith's kicked her out, or Kith's kicked her away. Um, we even see when Kith comes back and eventually accepts this offer from Jerry to sort out this issue, Kith goes, there's nothing else. We are never going to speak about this relationship thing again. And now that I know that you regret it, I'm going to use that, which means effectively I'm not paying for your services. You're going to do this for me because of what you did to me uh, kind of thing. So uh, it does feel like Hogarth's getting more and more desperate. She's in this really desperate situation and she's throwing everything at it, even being horrible to Kith 
because she's trying to work out some way to grab onto this one thing that she cannot get with money, effectively. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, this whole situation is completely of her own making. Mm-hmm. She has engineered this. It, it's an interesting direction, isn't it, for this character to go? I mean, we all kind of knew she was cold, calculating, yeah. manipulative. And we just thought that maybe she would be that redemption thing where she would get a little softer, a little warmer. Yeah. And, you know, she did to an extent, but it is back to good old Jerry. She absolutely is who she is. And, um, yeah, it's unfortunately it's the the dark plunge to being this manipulative nightmare yeah uh, and yeah i don't think she's going to come back from that yeah she is who she is and that's a, not a nice person at all <laughs> but with that on to case note number five the cops arrive at alias investigations yeah yeah we've already talked about costa and his arrival at alias investigations where he's now effectively lost everything he's he'd been put on leave from from the office but the other cops that arrive here when jessica is awoken by them in the morning is detective amada and her homicide team arriving um i really like this introduction to amada who uh, comes into the apartment looks over at this empty bottle of whiskey there's your whiskey watch for the episode john yes uh, looks over at the empty bottle of whiskey at probably 10 o'clock in the morning it looks pretty bright and it's like have you been drinking <laughs> and jessica's like i have an excuse i have a reason i'll be sober pretty soon it's all right um but we find out that the reason why they're here has nothing to do with trish you assume that this photograph may have been leaked or this photograph might have gotten out or somebody else has worked out potentially with uh hogarth finding out that she's revealed to the yeah police. exactly trish is is there so that's can, what you think's happened absolutely i completely thought that hogarth had gone to the cops about trish right off the bat mm-hmm. having seen seen uh, her face in reflected in that uh, video yeah uh, so uh, for me i thought this was totally trish and then all of a sudden you get the the, the bombshell that this officer nussbaumer has has been murdered mm. now for me it's immediately you go oh eric because again i just thought it was he was so slimy i loved how much of an impression uh, officer carl nussbaumer had mm-hmm. but then you start to go and think Okay, you know, you've just seen Salinger kind of go into surgery to have part of um, his face, you know, the first stages of the repair and the plastic surgery uh, on the scars left by Trish. But you're kind of thinking, is he still somehow in the loop? Is he the one involved in this? Or is it as simple as it is Eric? He has decided that, you know, this guy is way, way too, too evil. I think it would make sense for this season of Jessica Jones for to her to have inspired another person to take matters into their own hands and do what they think is right, which is Eric thinking that he's doing something that's right, murdering the officer, and actually the police thinking that it's Jessica, you know, because that's the last face that was caught on his body cam before he turned it yeah, off, yeah. effectively. That's why she's in the in the loop here, I suppose. Eric was in hiding. Uh, he came out of hiding when, when uh, Jessica was threatened by the officer, but none of that was caught on camera because he'd already turned off his uh, his standing camera, basically. So um, very interesting idea here that Jessica could be to blame. And also, there's no possible way that she can share where she was the previous night. So what is her alibi going to be effectively, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess Eric can cover her saying that they were in the apartment together for the whole night. That might make sense, but you can't use that as the excuse because obviously the body cam has Jessica on there. So they can't say that they were there. There has to be something saying that Jessica was talking to him 
why was she talking to him and why is that the last person that was on the camera so, yeah exactly um, so interesting so he never turned his body cam on for the rest of his uh, the rest of his time on the job that evening basically <laughs> that's quite interesting yeah so he must have been up to some really bad stuff yeah yeah exactly so there is also as we heard from Eric he's murdered many people that are in the drug trade effectively you know any one of those people could have could have murdered him but unfortunately the suspicion has been cast on Jessica here so uh, an interesting end to the episode another good cliffhanger yeah definitely that's it for our top five case notes uh, a couple of notes that we haven't talked about in the episode I did like that scene with Gillian I like when we have a character coming on screen who should be impacted by all the things going on and just see what's actually happening. So this moment when Gillian is about to leave Jessica because things are starting to get really real here in this apartment in New York. A lot of yeah. things are going down and Gillian is being affected by it. She's had all of these phone calls for now about a week really about Jessica and this mass vigilante. And now we see that someone really close to the two of them is dead. Um, Gillian knows who both Trish and Jessica are and what they do uh, in their times together effectively. And she knows that Dorothy has been killed because of that. So she doesn't want to be in the firing line here. But we see Jessica does a little bit of a mind game with, with Gillian kind of going, if you're a person of empathy, you would stay with me because you know how difficult a time it would be for me yeah. without having you around. Yeah. So she kind of blackmails Gillian into staying. I'm kind of with Gillian. I'd be getting myself out of there pretty damn quickly, you know. Um, maybe you guys probably need to leave your lives that way and i'm gone i'd go and find myself a nice job uh, as a as an assistant in another firm somewhere else yeah can, can, can you get back to the kind of cases you did in episode one season one mm-hmm. where you're following sort of adulterous husbands or wives exactly um because that's much safer for me yeah you can imagine uh julian thinking those things i think another one we see the the clawed face of salinger here as well done by trish mm-hmm. uh the the cat claws um, so, yeah, this is kind of, um, I suppose, worse than uh, Nick Fury's even. So, I mean, it, <laughs> if you took the size of these, then Salinger is a super duper uh, undercover espionage uh, head of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of thing. If, if you know. I don't think that's what made Nick Fury the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. No, I that? know. But, you know, <laughs> he's got it right down the face, not just across the eye. So, yeah, he has some pretty bad sort of damage there to Mm -hmm. his face from Trish. And even just that moment where you see uh, Jessica picking out the bits of skin from under uh, Trish's nails as well uh, in the aftermath of her attack on on Salinger as well. So, yeah, good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, you get the impression that this is what all of the victims of uh, Trish in the comic books, she's a hero in the comic books, not victims, uh, the people that she attacks, the the villains in the comic books, I suppose. Uh, You get the impression that this is what they look like after an attack by Hellcat, uh, effectively, because of these big nails scraped down the face. This is what they all look like. So a nice little callback, a nice little call in there. Uh, mentioned the raft earlier on the raft is that place in captain america's civil war the the final moment of that where we have uh, hawkeye and ant-man and um, and falcon all trapped in the raft because they broke the sokovia accords back in captain america's civil war so this mentioned that effectively now that's where everybody goes any super powered person that is captured by the police for breaking the law will go to the raft so uh, nice that they're keeping this in there uh, i know they mentioned it back in season two as well about that's where they were going to send jessica's mother was off to the raft so it seems like trish is on the similar path yeah um, that that jessica thinks anyway that she could be sent off to the raft so nice little references there good stuff that's it for the notes uh, yeah. john let's get on to our defense do you defend jessica jones season three episode nine aka i did something today i do defend this mm-hmm. yes i think uh, it, it's one that i think i could easily 
maybe have said, no, I don't, just purely because of the the complete slowdown of pace. And I think, you know, it is a contrast to um, episode eight, for sure, uh, and, and episode seven. But um, for me, I, I do defend this uh, because I think it did a good job of a difficult slot uh in in, yeah. in this series i give this three and a half nussbarmers nussnackers out of five <laughs> um i i think there's a lot of character development here and there's a lot of you know the fallout from dorothy's death and i thought it actually was handled really nicely i think there's some uh elements that you know maybe just don't kind of add up there is the the forensic evidence and two people working on it at 3 a.m. Um, I I think as well, you know, the 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 photo uh, looks a little too arty. Um, to you know, I get he's a photographer, Salinger, but you know, it's it's a little too clean, too crisp. Um, you know, it's almost like it's being chiseled out of marble or something. And I think also with the shadow, the fact that you don't see any of his apartment um, kind of in the shot, it's a little strange. But there's Malcolm and Trish, there's Malcolm and Jerry, there's Kith and Jerry, there's Jessica and Trish, there's Nussbaumer with Eric and and Jessica. And I, I think they're all great interactions that have really awkward situations, difficult situations. You know, Jessica doing something on behalf of Trish to protect her that she's not happy with. She's upset by this. So I, I think there's a lot of great moments here between two characters mm-hmm. or a group of characters that really draws out this sort of devastating aftermath of Dorothy, someone who you may have not liked, but ultimately never deserved that fate um, yeah. or uh, murder and torture in, in that way. So th- this is, I think, a really uh, good episode from from that point of view. And I think you have to give the props to the actor who did um, and played uh, Officer Carl Nussbaumer because he just oozed just darkness, um, evil just grimy sliminess so uh, really nicely done it's officer newspammer 20 year decorated vet john i love that one of the cops says that when jessica calls him newspammer it's like it's like an affront to this entire organization <laughs> you've criticized one of our officers uh, no I, I get that I, I get what you mean yeah no exactly i think that's the esteem that i have for this guy putting a character on uh, this show jessica jones for you know what less than five minutes mm-hmm. and just really nailing the the scenes to provide this memorable uh character and, and guest appearance so really nicely done um derek do you defend episode nine of jessica jones aka i did something today i do defend it yeah similar to yourself these episodes are necessary and this is an absolutely necessary episode sometimes you feel with shows like this when you get to episode nine and it has so much character development and so much stuff going on in it that occasionally maybe some of the other episodes might have just kicked the can down the road a little bit and gone yeah maybe i won't do character development in my episode i'll get the action in my episode or i'll get the investigation in my episode or i'll get something else going on so i don't have to deal with all these moments of characters talking to each other and making their decisions this was absolutely necessary we needed to have jessica fighting internally with herself as to whether she was going to 
go on the side effectively of the serial killer to protect her sister. It had to be a big decision. It couldn't be something that she goes, yeah, no problem and sorts it out at the start. A little bit of, I suppose, interest with the uh, destruction of the only evidence that connects Salinger to uh, the previous bodies, to any of the bodies, effectively, that he's uh, that he's killed in the past. Um, I thought that was intriguing, but it wasn't particularly fun. It's not a fun part of the episode. It's too short to be to, to be a lot of fun. I think you may have put a bit more Gillian in there, um, going through her experiences of being left alone in the office while there's this murderer out there or while everybody's trying to find Trish. You might have had a little bit more of her in here to make it a bit more of a fun episode, possibly. But it's an absolutely necessary episode. So I think it's about middle of the road. Yeah, it's about three and a half out of five, as you, as you say, John. That's pretty much the perfect rating for it. Nothing wrong with the episode at all. It needed to happen. I just sometimes find with these ones, maybe if you spread some of the information that you're delivering in this one episode out across other episodes, then it might not be as dark all in one episode yeah. that we get here. Because it's a bit of a slog getting through this amount of information in this 45 minutes that we saw, or 50 minutes that we saw for this particular episode. So, uh, so it is a defend. It's a necessary episode, especially in the wake of the death of Dorothy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but let's get on to some feedback and hear what other people have to say about the episode so far of Jessica Jones. Yeah, Terry Miller left some feedback over on our website at Mm -hmm. tvpodcastindustries.com. He said, man, I couldn't help but jump ahead on Jessica Jones this season. It's my favourite so far. Mm. But, not to spoil anything, do you buy Jerry's word on anything? (laughs) I can't figure it out. I may not like her, but in previous seasons, I could see the logic of her thinking. This season, she's got her thinking cap splattered against a wall. <laughs> yeah, no, I I wonder if it's something to do with the pills that she's taking because of the condition. Is that messing with her? I think Maybe. Um, that that sense that the you know the egg timer is running out on yeah. your life. And yes, you may have a great apartment, you may have a fantastic uh, law firm. It, it's that sense that some of her last bits of decision making for someone so analytical, mm-hmm. so logical has not been that um, and it's cost her the reputation of her firm it's cost her clients and again that's just made her spiral down so yeah it, it's an interesting one uh, i certainly think that she is spiraling out of control and i, I, I yeah i don't buy her word uh, yeah. on much it seems desperate but i think that's to do with the the time shortening between ultimately her her death yeah, it's, it's all about ego, really, for Jerry, isn't it? It always has been about ego, yeah. but in the past it's kind of been, I have a beautiful apartment, I have beautiful things around me, and I can get any woman I want to. Um, even you know, having someone like Wendy, who she was married to in the first season, that wasn't enough for her. She needed more. Wendy wasn't a soulmate. She was just someone to sleep with, effectively. And she was sleeping with loads of other people and having loads more drugs, all that kind of stuff back in season one. So she was broken human back then. Now it feels like... She is kind of spiraling, as you say, in a very Jerry sort of way. You know, she's her business. The only thing that she'll have left when she dies is under threat here. So she is going to protect that like a mama bear does kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. In her Jerry way, which is I will protect it at the detriment of all of my employees, of everybody around me and surrounding me. I will do anything to make sure my business survives even after I'm gone. And then the other side, as I said earlier on, 
this idea that she can't buy love now that she's decided that she wants her soulmate back in her life and her soulmate moved on 25 years ago jerry's not willing to accept that so she's making these stupid decisions to try and do anything she can to save this other part of her life that she could never attain before never wanted before but never could attain before either so um so it's not that i don't buy what she's doing i wouldn't trust her as far as i could throw her at all if i was in any of the situations around her but this season i think it makes sense what she's doing for jerry as a character but i don't like it at all no exactly that's where we are um Mike Brown over on Facebook says, uh, the wrestling scene in episode seven made me feel like I'd missed something. Very strange for Jessica to allow herself to be put in that position yet again. And whatever happened with the recording she made on her phone when Salinger caught her in his apartment and tried to frame her for assault. That went nowhere so far anyway. Interesting. Yeah, that, that wrestling scene at the end of episode seven, I think she was trying to gloat because she felt she'd found something that he hadn't covered up. And it was way too early. Yeah, she even says in episode eight that she overstepped the mark. She says to, to Costa, I think I might shouldn't have rubbed it in his face that quickly before, <laughs> yeah. you know, all the all the eyes were dotted and the T's were crossed, you know. Um, sometimes you probably have to make a little bit of drama where there may not have been drama. You know, Jessica's a pretty well established person, but I think to have this this guy like Salinger rub her nose in it so often over the previous couple of episodes, she probably went all right, I found something that you didn't that you didn't have. It's in the hand of the police. You're going down, mate, kind of thing. And she didn't realize that he'd be able to get himself out of there. Yeah, no, uh, it's a really good uh, call, Mike, actually. It, yeah, that she, she hasn't used that recording at all. And yet, so far, it's not gone anywhere. Um, and I, I wonder if it will come back mm. uh, now later, given that we've... You know, she's destroyed the evidence. Again, I think, um, you know, someone previously in the feedback said Salinger's power seems that it makes Jessica Jones act dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've had that with the, the wrestling scene. I think we've had that with her destroying the her rather than just keeping it to herself so it can't be processed yeah. at the laboratory. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, there's a few things here that need to just uh, be drawn out, uh, certainly that recording. Uh, but maybe it's just not enough to be used. Mm. Ultimately, you know, as a weight or body of evidence against him, that would help. You, you know, it would show uh, something about his character, but maybe it would be too easily sort of written off in a course of law and that's why it's not used and i suppose it's one of those things that's not something that has been said in the in the show so far so we we just don't know but it's certainly some good spots there mike yeah absolutely uh, Jeff Stiles also talks about a little bit more filming. Uh, he said, I love me some Gillian, but I hate Hogarth this season. Yeah, totally agree with you, Jeff. Um, he says, one of the kids was filming the the wrestling match. Is that going to come back and bite Jessica in the backside at a later stage? Um, I'm not really too sure. We did talk about a little bit about this myself and, and Chris um, on this wrestling match that was going on that effectively all she does is beat him in a wrestling match doesn't she she cheats a little bit that's what it is uh, at the wrestling match but he's the one that proposes it they have the battle she doesn't hurt him excessively she does just beat him up a little bit right so i don't think one of the kids filming it could really go anywhere at all unless it just all adds together to maybe say that she's been targeting him in the past you know that's how that's why he calls the police back in the first episode to say that she's around the house and she's beating him up is in order to get a restraining order against jessica and he keeps building that up by calling the police when she's uh, spying on him across the road and this additional video of the wrestling match is just another time that jessica has 
overstepped the boundaries effectively. Um, but I don't think it would do much more than that. Yeah. Again, it, it, it's what, what are the importance of these? And I suspect that's just, that's what a kid would do these days yeah. is that they would pull out their, their mobile phone and video it because yeah. this is a superhero show. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's a tough one because it's an investigative show. You're thinking, was oh, this a bit of evidence? Yeah. It's difficult to know. Um, I, I wonder to what extent it's going to get pulled out. Maybe not, but certainly, uh, yeah. Yeah, and Jessica does actually mention it as well, doesn't it? She says to Salinger, you're just trying to make me do something bad in front of all of these cameras because you see parents are filming it and everything, you know, and she doesn't actually do anything bad. That's the point that I was making earlier on. Salinger seems to want Jessica to act the way he thinks Jessica is going to act, to react violently to him, to beat him up, to use her powers to kill him or something like that. That's what he seems to want her to do in front of all these people and to have evidence of her acting out like the spoilt superhero effectively that he thinks she is but that's not jessica she hasn't actually done anything that he has expected her to do so is he underestimating jessica the way she underestimated him at the beginning of the season so i think that's where we are right now yeah absolutely uh, on episode eight uh, bob phillips says when we saw the peak of mummy cat being lovely manipulating the media promoting the look of beanie girl and stepping up on live tally i should have seen her end trampling down but i didn't bashed me sideways i didn't think i'd ever feel sorry for the character but i really did i absolutely it is one of those moments where you do absolutely feel sorry for this character Mm. no one no matter how maybe obnoxious they are deserves to be tortured effectively Um, and uh yeah it it was pretty uh tough to swallow Uh, bob continues i do like the solid detective core we are seeing Mm. tiny sprinkles of power are dusted on the story but they accent the plot they don't build it Take away the meta-human, and the series still hangs together. Mm -hmm. The only bad thing about this episode was the absence of Sheriff Wappinger. Shout out to Detective Costa managing family stuff with husband Starbucks and still getting on with the job. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly uh, a lot of um, both private time and professional time and superhero dealing with Jessica time as well that Costa has to do. Uh, no wonder he was made the fall guy in this episode. Yeah. I do feel slightly sorry for his husband. Obviously, anybody who's, who's as obsessed with their job as Costa seems to be that isn't even paying attention to their new child for the first time they're seeing them. Uh, I do feel kind of sorry for the husband there. Yeah, definitely. On to our final piece of feedback for this episode. Mike Cleveland says, Oh my God, oh my God, I just watched episode seven and eight together so I can comment about them both here. I personally really, really enjoyed these two hours of TV. So much personal relationship development between so many members of our cast for us to consume. I started to feel like I was at my favorite seafood buffet in Las Vegas, Nevada. Jessica's subtle heartbreak that Hogarth wasn't siding with her. Yes, it's always easy to tell when Jessica disagrees with people, but here she feels personally betrayed in my opinion. Trish realising she doesn't want to just be a hero. She wants to be famous for being a superhero. Malcolm having his man in the mirror moment and now having to choose who he's going to be. Trish's mom finally finding a role she can have and probably have done well in both of her girls' lives. Well, you know, had things gone slightly differently. 
Hogarth and possibly Zaya revealing their true character to us and Malcolm, where their defense of Salinger as a client. On a side note, oh, Trinity, why I have loved you for decades. Okay, let's get back <laughs> on the point. Not sure why we got the adoption story here with Detective Costa. His husband came off poorly, in my opinion. As an African-American, I love that they are shown adopting a child of color, but the husband seemed whiny and their marriage kind of shaky. If we had more seasons to, draw, to do a deep dive into the relationship, I would have been all for the show planting these seeds. I love just discovering Challenger's first kill. Loved the Jessica, Trish and Dorothy story arc and can't wait for the fallout. I especially love that all of our characters know exactly who and what we are dealing with and everyone is choosing their own crap. Basically, I loved these two episodes and have high hopes for the rest of the season. P.S. Just to put it out, John, Chris and Derek, I really enjoyed listening to the podcast and hearing its evolution into, my opinion, one of the most brilliant offerings out there. So please continue to do that thing you do that when you do, you do so well. Thanks, Mike. That's really nice. That's anyway. really nice. Thank you uh, so much for the PS. It's really good. Yeah. Um, and certainly, I think, yeah, these two episodes mm-hmm. were awesome. They, You could tell the genesis in episode seven of the previous six episodes mm-hmm. coming to this. And then it built, it built, and eight, and you have that moment yeah. uh, where Trish finds the body of her mom. Just that, that crescendo. Um, so absolutely uh, amazing uh, seeing this. And I, I, I agree. I, I think the character development and personal relationships have been handled so well here. And then also going back to Bob's uh, idea of this feeling like a detective show with some slight super uh, use of, you know, mainly jumping and being able to fall off buildings, you know, being yeah. able to get from A to B quicker which is kind of useful you know and in a tight situation being able to just push someone away but yeah. i never needed to drive in new york yeah no well that, yeah i mean I, I but i just like that um despite that the villain here of the piece is one that wants to circumvent that yeah. it, it's that kind of idea that he doesn't need to have the physical contact with jessica to show what he thinks is her true uh, personality or to bring her down it, it's that kind of master villain and mm-hmm. it, it's a nice one with jessica who has that physical advantage with her strength but uh yeah thank you mike uh, so much for for the uh, feedback really good yeah really good feedback mike really enjoyed that uh, in terms of the adoption story with with detective costa actually i think it was trying to show something slightly different than you got from it where you're saying that that you think his husband comes across uh, showing that their marriage is kind of shaky i think they're actually trying to show one character in the jessica jones universe who's pretty well adjusted <laughs> you know for me as i said he walks out of this uh, moment where he's seeing his child for the first time to go and deal with the work call and as husband says okay well as long as this isn't the way it's always going to be then that's okay but i think that's not showing their marriage being shaky i think that's actually showing he accepts the kind of things his husband has to do sometimes and hopefully not always you're dealing with a serial killer throughout the the entire life that you're bringing up this new child so i think they're trying to just show someone that isn't in a bad relationship the reason why i think that is because jessica on the other end of the phone automatically assumed they were going through a divorce when he said he had some family issues to deal with so i think it's just jessica assuming that everybody in the world is having bad stuff going on all the time and costa doesn't really have any bad stuff in his personal life going on it's all good stuff actually so thanks so much and thanks so much for your feedback and it's really nice of you to say to give us a little compliment about the podcast we hope you've been enjoying it over the years thanks so much yeah absolutely thanks to all that provided uh, feedback for for this uh, episode terry mike jeff bob and mike yeah thank you so much 
Yeah, we're starting to get feedback in for the final few episodes of Jessica Jones, our final Defenders TV podcast episodes. <laughs> if you want to get your feedback in, email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. You can pop over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and leave us a voicemail with any thoughts about the podcast or about any of the episodes of Jessica Jones so far this season. As I said, we do have some for the final episode, which we will be playing on episode 13 of Jessica Jones. But next time, we'll be back with our review of Jessica Jones season 3, episode 10, a.k.a. Hero pants. That's what I'm wearing at the moment. Woohoo! John's wearing pants. Good yes. Stuff. <laughs> no, hero pants. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow defenders, for uh, joining us. It's a pleasure, as always. Uh, I'm off to play Angry Piano and then bang on the drums. La, 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 la. I just don't want to hear what Jerry Hogarth is going to say next, <laughs> which will be in the next episode. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> This is Defenders TV Podcast episode. <laughs> this is Defenders TV Podcast episode 232. Oh, more vigor. This is Defenders TV Podcast episode 232. <laughs> more vim and vigor. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that as well. I, I actually connected it with the fact that he's saying he's going to bring her to this other person, Officer Newsnacker, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, He's saying to her he's going to go... Damn it. <laughs> Damn it, stupid nutcrackers. <laughs> With character development, and, and it's been quite nice uh, for me to see. Rhymes, I'm a poet. <laughs> and it's been quite nice for me to see. <laughs> yeah, it's really good to see. I just laughed there. That make absolutely no sense. <laughs> And, it's and I just was so glad that Kith started playing kind of angry percussion uh, and the piano, sort of the banging the bums. Kind of like the... Kind of like, banging the what? I said banging the bums instead of banging the drums. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, <laughs> Freudian slip. Uh-huh. Um, which will be in the next episode when we'll speak to you again soon. Bye. Can you give me that again just from which will be in the next episode? Which will be in the next episode when we'll speak with you again soon. To get the when, that's the problem. All right. Which will be in the next episode? We'll speak to you again soon. Which will be in the next which will be in the next episode. Speak to you then soon. Bye. Speak to you then. Bye. <laughs> I'll speak to you then soon. No, okay, give me one more time. Last time. Which will be in the next... Which will be in the next... Which will be in the next episode. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.